0: ESPN LA 710.
1: Welcome to the Experience here on ESPN LA. I'm Lafern Cusack. For more information, please log on to ESPNLA.com and go to the Experience show page or check me out on Twitter at Lafern Cusack. Today, so happy to be speaking with Ferrari Shepard, multimedia producer and artist. Ferrari, welcome to the show.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me.
1: Now, you are so multi-talented. I've been following you on Twitter, looking what you post, and you are so full of strength. And I say fierce, and I'm like, who is this guy? I got to get him on my show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so tell,
1: yeah, tell us, you. you're currently in Chicago, correct?
0: That's correct. Yes, yes.
1: Now, give, give us a little background on how you were raised and what made you so fierce.
0: First of all, I don't necessarily view myself as fierce, but I understand why others would. I'm more, uh, I view myself more as like um, a human being who responds, uh, I, I think logically, to things that happen in the world, things that go go on around me. Um, and I guess you could say that my upbringing had, had a lot to do with that. I grew up in public housing in Chicago. Uh Throughout the city and also back and forth in, in New York. And, uh, during what most people will refer to as the crack epidemic, uh, which I don't know if that ever ended. Mm. But, uh, at the apex of that, that's where I grew, I grew up within that. So a lot of my friends were, um, were selling crack. They were going to jail. Um, people were being killed around me. Um, I was being shot, I've been shot at five times in my life, right. which is crazy. I thought that was normal. Um, until I became an adult. And I started telling people, yeah, I've been shot at five times. And people were like, what's this like something, you know, that's combat. Right. Um, so that cultivated me. I was, you know, raised by a single mother. Uh, and I wouldn't say that I had, I was very versed in politics. I just, I, I was too busy living. I was too busy surviving, uh, some of the things that po- political, po- the political arena creates in the real world. Uh, it wasn't until I reached college, I went to the School of Art Institute, that I began to, um look in retrospect at my life. And say, wow, like, you know, I, I literally experienced some of these things that are talking points in the political arena arena. I experienced them firsthand and they helped mold and shape me into the man that I am today.
1: Going back to me saying fierce, for me, being fierce is not being afraid of saying what, you know, you what you feel, n- mm. not being afraid of the consequences or the I guess backlash and being exactly who you are, you know, without, you know, putting on airs. And right. some of the stuff that you say online, you know, I read that you got a lot of backlash from. So at what point in your life did you learn or become so self-aware? that you were able to get out of that situation and end up at the Art Institute of Chicago.
0: Um, First of all, you know, not to go and say, Oh, well, first of all, but actually there's fear. I have like a lot of fear. Um, And I think that there, that the fear is what, you know, galvanizes me into action. It goes back to the fight or flight mechanism within us. Right. So, uh, I can I attribute it to I attribute it to uh, this fear, fearlessness to my first fight physical altercation I was around eight years old and there was this this Puerto Rican kid his name was Papo and I was afraid. I was so afraid of this guy because, you know, the rumor was that he had been a juvenile hall and he was like, he was bad. He was bad. Yeah. That's all you have to tell tell a kid <laughs> of like eight years old. Like, oh my God, I don't want anything to do with this guy. So he was a bully. He would just like completely, you know, push me down. And uh one day he actually stole my bike and my sister had to get it back from him, wow. you know. And my sister went home and she told my mother. She said, "Yeah, ma, a Ferrari let him take his bike. He didn't do anything, and you know, all of this." So my mother was like, "Okay, let's go find this little boy," which seems a little crazy. The parents is like, "Let's go find an eight-year-old little boy." But she walked with me down the street. It was so embarrassing <laughs> to find this little boy. And the and the little boy he saw her. And he just ran. He took off running, and she was like, "No, come back! I, I don't want to hurt you." She's <laughs> like, "I just want you to have a fair fight with my son."
1: Wow. And
0: the, yes, and the kid was like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> and I had to fight this guy. My mother told me, "If you don't fight him, then I'm gonna fight you." So uh I actually lost that fight. I lost that fight, but the lesson was 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 cemented in me. I was like, "Hey, this." beating that this kid just gave me is no worse than any other thinkings or beatings that my brother is giving me. You know? mm-hmm. So after that, something changed with, within me where the fear, instead of making me uh, flight, instead of making me run, it made me go towards it, mm-hmm. and face it. And then I became a completely different person. My confidence level grew and it's just carried on into my adulthood. So when it comes to um, being outspoken, and uh, right now, you know, as of today, it's the social media. I think that for me, I, to be completely honest with you, I was I, I was speaking from a place of sincerity, and it's almost like a um a reflex, mm-hmm. a reflex to uh, to injustices that I see in the world, or things that are right or wrong, and I have to think about it in hindsight. I say oh my god okay I just did that now damage control <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and um I I personally I've accepted that that is part of my personality and that just like there is a need in the world for people who are like who write like Dr. Seuss there is also a, a a space for people who are like Edgar Allan Poe for instance so where there are people who eat at Arby's every day, no offense, Arby's, or people eat at Arby's and just live their life, and then they they die. There are some people who are uh, their purpose is to shake things up and to and to make people think. And I believe that that is my purpose, part of my purpose.
1: So with that going towards, you know, going towards the fear, I think that's kind of like. I think it is courage because a lot of people can't go towards the fear, you know, can't go right. towards the challenges in order for you to grow and to, um, and to even have growth within yourself. You have to tackle things that are uncomfortable, right?
0: Yes. Yes. And scary there. I, I cannot tell you, I can't lie to you and say that there haven't been severe consequences for some of the points that I've made. I think that you reach a point though where you say, Okay, this is what this is what's gonna happen to me. I'm gonna be blacklisted. My career's not gonna be as easy as I thought or I imagine or should be. Okay, I accept that. Now I'm free. Now I'm absolutely free and I don't have anything to hold me back. A lot of people, you know, when we think of atrocities that happen throughout history uh, let, let, us just say the Rwanda genocide or, uh, Jewish holocaust or any of these things. You say, well, how did people just let that happen or slavery? How did that happen? And all you have to do is look around, mm-hmm. look around. Most people, they, they just want to work. They want to go, they want to earn a decent wage. They want to go home and they just want to live life, mm-hmm. right? But that is a privilege. That's a privilege, as long as there is oppression around the world, that is a privilege to be able to do that and it's a privilege that I sometimes that I often take <laughs> you know um so yeah that's 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 basically where what, I am with that what I'll, t- t- I'll tell you more if something comes <laughs> <on my laughs> what
1: type of consequences yeah. have you wow
0: oh, oh boy uh so just to go back, I started as a journalist i I created a website called StopBeingFamous.com. dot com And it was an arts and culture website and at the time it was uh it was what was this, two thousand and seven. So there wasn't much out there in terms of social media and websites. So here I was this kind of rinky dinky site that I did (laughs) that I actually created myself and I wasn't a web designer and I was interviewing some of the biggest stars out, you know, and the thing that I think attracted audiences to me was that the stop being famous motto, you know, it was kind of an inside joke, like stop being famous. And I'm actually like, you know, speaking with people who are famous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would take away all of the airs and, you know, uh, just the small talk questions or just business related questions. And I'll get cut through to the person. Mm-hmm. What, what is it? uh that this person has experienced that makes them different. Right. So, um, I modeled it around what Rolling Stone magazine used to be in the sixties and the seventies where they would actually follow a Jimi Hendrix around and it, it was like there it was it was there was a uh, careful attention paid uh to telling these stories. So I did this, and then I started to write social commentary on the site, and that became popular. And then social media got in, and I became like this kind of like phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? And I um, began writing for other publications, and then my art started to take off in terms of my visual art. And then later, the music, as I produced the album, when you seen Bay Most F, uh, December ninety ninth. And while this was happening, I was also taking I was also being invited to speak at different places in different countries, or uh, different places in different countries, and to speak at different in different countries. Mm-hmm. And one of those was I was in South Africa. Um, I went to Palestine. I would say the Palestine was the one that was the most um, revolutionary for me uh, spiritually. Politically, in any other way, because I was uh, I was there in the West Bank, Ramallah, near Gaza, and I saw for firsthand what colonialism looks like, what modern-day um, I guess you would call it settler colonialism looks like. And I I left. I remember leaving Palestine, and I said I have to write about this. And never in my mind did I ever envision that anything that I wrote would actually catch fire as it did mm. but i wrote a I wrote an article for the Huffington Post, and it went viral. It went viral, and I understood why it went viral because of people's notions about uh Africans in America for one. And their relation to geopolitics were kind of like expected, unless you're wearing a suit and a tie, you're expected to not be well versed on the rest of the world, right, you know? Right. So they were, so I would say that critics and people who, the audience, they were more like, wow, this guy's from Chicago, from public housing. And he's now in a, conf- a quote unquote, so-called conflict zone uh-huh. explaining, uh, his experience. And what I tried to do with that article was uh, stick to what I experienced mostly, mm-hmm. not make too many comments like, this is how it is, Is more, this is what I saw. Mm-hmm. And you, as the reader, can now bring that together and make your own decision. And a lot of people, they saw that what I was saying was what I will always say until the day that I die, which is settler colonialism, what's happening in Palestine is wrong. Be it for Palestinians or African refugees, um, and that Judaism has nothing to do with the politics of Zionism. Uh, I think that that's often confused. Uh, when people get offended, they say, well, you're against, you're against Jews. And it's like, no, to say that is to say that, you know, the Nazi regime of Germany is what Germany is about. And we all know that Germany is not not Nazism. Like, once Germany separated from Nazism, everything, now we're back to Germany. Yeah. The same thing is about, can be said about, like, the Ashkenazi Jews or just Judaism in, in general. But the backlash I received was enormous. Really. You know, I was getting yeah. people uh giving me death threats. Wow. And, well, you know, sending death threats online. And some people in person uh, who didn't appreciate what I had said. And then there was the the more subtle mm-hmm. uh backlash, which came in the form of blacklisting of the in- industry blacklisting where all of my career w- tra- trajectory was kind of like going on in this big incline mm-hmm. and suddenly it just all leveled out and, and there became radio silence. So I had to literally reinvent myself. And that's why I did the, the I did a joint album with most death, you know, mm-hmm. and, that took over the headlines. I no longer be, I, I no longer was known for that black guy who went to Palestine, Israel and did an expose. I became now the musician artist, mm-hmm. which I, I would prefer, you know, um, and yeah, so that, that, that happened. And even in terms of, you know, talking about things, police brutality, which is now, if you notice, it is way more common and mainstream than it was six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's due in large part to social media right and uh, the perceived amb- um, anonymousness, if you could say uh, anonymity mm-hmm. of social media. Where people say, "Okay, I can say I can tweet this, <laughs> and it's not real because I'm not in those, I'm not in a physical space mm-hmm. with this person," which is completely untrue because they're using tweets now in court, yes, as evidence, as statements, <laughs> you know.
1: Yes, yeah. A lot of lawsuits have been won due to uh, posting your photos and all of that stuff. It's
0: it's tweets and everything. <laughs> yeah, you know, when the news came out that you know. The Library of Congress, United States Congress, um, actually owns your tweets. I think a lot of people didn't didn't see that early on. This was about six years ago when it came out. Library of Congress actually keeps your tweets and they own them. And <laughs> you say, "Wow, okay." So it, it, it's it, uh, it, it's a it's a different reality than most people understand. Yes, I was say.
1: Yes, definitely. So when you moved into being an artist, doing your album how did you go about creating that like what was the process behind creating the
0: album actually uh Moose Death and I his name is Yassine Bay that's what he goes by today uh we became friends he um actually reached out to me and we were we found that we were mutual admirers and we met and then um we just began uh working on various projects uh, some visual art, some focused on traveling and different business. And um, I was around him for about two years, and he never knew that I made music, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. I figured everybody gives this man music. They're like, you know, <laughs> right. So I'm like, I don't want to be one of those people at all. So he actually had to kind of stumble upon it. I was in my apartment one day, and I'm playing music, my music. He's like, who is that? I was like, that's me. Oh. And from then on, he was like, "Okay, let's try to do something and then it just went on and on until we created two songs, three songs, and then it was album work, and that's when we uh sealed the the title deal uh so you know it was it was pretty much an amazing experience because i'm um um as a multifaceted artist, sometimes I feel like there's not enough life not not enough time in life to get done everything that I want to do, which is be a serious painter, be a serious musician, a published, you know, a, a published uh, author. But I'm actually seeing that those things are happening. And the only thing that I haven't figured out, to be 100% honest, is how to... I I don't want to shake my political foundation, you know, or uh, my my political roots, But I wanted to be compartmentalized. I wanted to be separate. And, um, and I don't know if I'm doing a good job at that because most, yeah, most people know me more for my social commentary on social media, unfortunately. You know, I think I could cure cancer tomorrow and say, Oh, yeah, you know, the guy from Twitter who cured cancer, (laughs) you know.
1: But isn't that a part of you? Isn't it, it, isn't it all a part of who you are, Ferrari Shepard?
0: I, oh, I I detest, like, I detest the idea of the word Twitter being associated with my name. And maybe I'm just old school or whatever, but I look at it almost like, if you remember MySpace, people are like, yeah. man, you got to have a cool MySpace page. <laughs> you got the glitter going on there. <laughs> and I'm like, you know. I'm way. I mean, I think I'm way cooler than this brand Twitter. You know, that is uh is MySpace basically. So I wish that I could, because when you think of someone, people I admire like James Baldwin, Mm -hmm. he has he has physical books. There's videos of him speaking, and he's he's so profound, right? Mm -hmm. And we're kind of like relegated to these like little sound bites of information and i I just i I always try to take the message that i i put on twitter and bring it to my work you know be it like articles or whatever it is it's not as effective because for some genius person i think they may have been in government (laughs) understood the you know 140 character or Mm -hmm. whatever 280 i don't know how many characters now it is but that, that those little those little thoughts is is the most actually the most effective form of communication because when you're writing, uh, be it if you're an essayist uh, you know or, or a novelist, you're still going by the 140 uh, <laughs> character rule whether mm-hmm. you whether you think, whether you realize it or not because the sentence must be concise. Right, okay, right. and then the group of sentences form paragraphs. Yeah. So that's why everybody is like Twitter is amazing because it just cuts away all of the. It makes people. Tur- it turns people into great writers.
1: hmm I yeah. I agree. By default. <laughs> yeah, but in yeah. in what you're saying about you don't you want to compartmentalize uh, yeah. who you are? How can you do that <laughs> when you are all of it yet?
0: Yeah. Maybe it's an unrealistic dream, because you know I I think that I, I see I see artists who are leg who are legacy artists today in terms of like hip hop, uh, like my brother Talib Kweli, who I love and respect. But mm-hmm. if you go to his Twitter, you see that he is arguing with Nazi neo-Nazis yes, all day long. And and it's like I talked I spoke to him, and I don't think he'll mind if I I t- speak about this conversation. I spoke to him. We were at a show in DC and he said, well, I think that is necessary in today's climate for that resistance and that voice to be there. And it was an interesting point. Uh, but I, I, I just, I just, uh, remember when a time before social media where, you know, you wouldn't know an artist's politics unless they did an interview right. or they actually put it in their music. Mm-hmm. And now there's this whole other left wing or other wing of a person where they say, okay, I know this guy's t- talk show. I've seen him on TV, but have you seen his Twitter? The President of the United States of America has a p- Twitter presence, and it's like it's it's annoying. It's, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like sign these documents or hold on a second. I have to finish this tweet. You know, it's like it's it's, it's bizarre. It's almost like I know everyone. I'm not alone in thinking like, dude, could you please just do your job first (laughs) and then, you know, have this and compartmentalize and have this other Twitter thing, you know, and don't talk about anything that has to do with your job because your job is important and it could kill a lot of people, you know. So that's what I'm talking about in terms of, you know, uh, just having a level of professionalism. And I don't think, maybe it's not, it's it's unattainable. It's unattainable because the two are married now. They're they're married on the highest and the lowest micro-macro scale.
1: Okay, so you have a lot of athletes that are, you know, talking about politics as well. And and people are really upset that people are mixing politics and sports, which, you know, I've been saying on my show for years, Sports is nothing but politics. You know, Jesse Owens, you know, like, my goodness, I, as a human being, uh, I'm sorry, as a human being, you're speaking up for human rights. And Mm -hmm. if you can use your platform to bring something out that maybe is not in the right light. How great mm-hmm. is that for you to use this tool which I see yeah. you know social media as a tool to share that like to share your thoughts to share of who you are to make that stand of well you know what I have the I have the power right now to actually say something yeah. and make a change
0: I think that it's it's a it's, it's a great tool and don't get me wrong like sometimes I you know the honesty doesn't stop I can't push a button and say, honestly, stop. I'm being honest when I when I say that you know I'm human, and I don't think anyone in this world wants to be attacked. Yeah. They don't want to be attacked. You know, so that's the part of me that's that's the, that says, man, I wish that I could kind of just be a normal guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's not real. So I do think the sports and whatever platform or whatever mm-hmm. message, whether it's rap blues, whatever it is that you can that you can reach people, it is important that you use it. And that's why I say although I may say that where it's like I'm trying to downplay it, my actions speak differently. I cannot help it. I will use every platform that I have to identify injustice. And you know, we can look at Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was one of the most vocal people mm-hmm. against racism, against war, against all of the things that are still Topics that are prevalent today. I think that the only thing that separated Muhammad Ali from other, or uh, Kaepernick, is that Muhammad Ali could knock you out. Point blank, <laughs> <laughs> period. Like, what do you have to say about this guy? You know, he would say, he would, he would be so blunt. He was like, you know, they tell him to go to Vietnam. He said, why am I going to go kill some poor little brown people? He was like, if I were to kill somebody or be at war, I'd be at war with you who are holding me back and hating me and burning me. And You know, so people were like, oh, okay. And I also think that it was because Muhammad Ali had a certain uh, humor mm-hmm. uh, or a comedic delivery where people couldn't Really tell whether he was being completely serious or not. Was he just taunting, you know, Joe Frazier, mm-hmm. or did he really hate this guy? And I think that that indecision kind of toiled and just churned in people's minds, and they they couldn't say, well, I want to hate this guy, but he he's, he's charismatic yes. and he's funny sometimes, you know. And as you see a person like early, I, I, I separate today's Dave Chappelle from let. 10 years ago, early Dave Chappelle was so effective because he was saying the same things that the people who are being chastised today was, are saying back then, but it was, it had a comedic edge and the same with Richard Pryor. Yeah. You know? And I don't think that everyone should, you know, if you're going to speak out or be vocal that you should be a comedian or have some soft edge so people can can handle it better. I'm not implying that at all. I'm saying that there is, uh, there's room and valid space for both types to exist, where there's a dead seriousness and then there is the kind of more sly, which I think is more effective, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, softer edge comedic style. Yeah.
1: But don't you find, like, Muhammad Ali, he said, you know, I have money, you know, I have fame, I have all of this and i know that not going to vietnam you know changing my name i may lose all of that but he was like it's worth it it's worth saving lives it's worth you know standing up
0: um and that's that's the only difference that that is the only difference That, that that spans beyond gender class race or anything there are really actually two type of people you know they're the people who Say no, actually, I like living comfortably, and I want to keep everyone happy, and then there are the people who say that to with, mm-hmm. with that like i, I the things the, the the list of the importance or uh you know yeah whatever what's what's important to mm-hmm. them is totally different, and those two those are the two types of people that we have you know in the world, you know,
1: yes, yes, uh, I think all of that has to deal with power, so you know bringing up um, Harvey Weinstein. So people are like, well, how did this exist? Well, people are, uh, Quentin Tarantino says, well, I knew this was happening, but I wanted to continue to make movies and make money, you know? So it's like, well, who has the power? And if you do have the power, or do you make people so fearful that, you know, they will continue to put up with abuses With bad behavior in order mm. to keep their money and continue to do right. what they want to do.
0: Right. Well, if you notice, Jay-Z, like if you followed his career beyond before he became Beyonce's husband, <laughs> and yeah. then you'll know that like he started out, I actually wasn't a fan of Jay-Z, you know, mm-hmm. because and it wasn't because the music was bad or anything. It's just I could not connect relate Mm-hmm. To his, to his lyrics because they were, uh, hyper capitalistic, you know, they were super capitalist and it lacked it to me, in my opinion, it, it, it lacked, uh, vulnerability mm-hmm. and missions outside of capitalism, right? But I watched him. If you watch him now, you see that he's evolved and he's opened up according to his net worth. You know, and yes. correspondence to his network, right? So as him and his wife, he is he and his wife became billionaires because they're to combine. I think they're billionaires. He now said, "Okay, I'm safe because there's nothing anyone can really do to Jay Z. You know, maybe they can like smear his, they can smear his image or whatever, but as long as he has the money put in a trust for his children, <laughs> he's gonna be okay. He right. won't starve, right, right." And that's when you start to see these documentaries come out about the prison industrial complex or his album that speak, that's speaking on, you know, uh, um, be it controversial or not, but the disenfranchisement of black and brown people in America. Um, I think that he was, he had the foresight to see or the retrospect to see where Others like myself, honestly, I I put myself in there, have lost because you'll see it's almost like a a neutron star, right? It burns really bright and fast. Or not neutron? I don't know. Very, very hot, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it burns out fast, Mm -hmm. right? And that same that same lesson could be learned from the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers were very, it was beautiful. They were out there, and they had the whole, you know, the very militaristic, it was proud, it was out smoking, it was lethargic probably for them, it was lethargic to get these things off their chest and to say it like they like they felt it. But the, unfortunately they didn't have the uh, military intelligence, the, the money, the backing to sustain that. Mm-hmm. And an important lesson can be learned from someone like Jay-Z uh, who I've come to turn, I like his music now, but an important lesson can be learned that you should have some type of plan B, C, all the way to, to Z. Cause you're gonna have a lot of backlash coming against you. You know? And I also advocate. There are people who can't, everyone can't become a Jay-Z or Oprah Winfrey or even, um a Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. But that's why I advocate and say that we, we must have organizations in place that financially support people who speak up and oppose injustice, mm-hmm. right? right? Because where there is deep in terms of like for the middle for the Middle East Palestine Israel, I put my neck out there, and it wasn't like you know I, anyone owes me because I would do it again. I would do it again and again. I would do it if Jews were being oppressed today. I would I would step up. Okay, I, anyone on this earth is being oppressed. I would step up, but that doesn't mean that I don't I don't think about it sometimes and say, where's people? Where's someone who who has uh, had my back mm-hmm. when the jobs, when uh, the wine, Harvey Weinstein's and Hollywood shuts you out for telling the truth? Right. Where do you go? And I think that's an important that's an important aspect if we envision because you know. Across across races, class, and gender, there there are people who really wish for the world to be a better place. Mm -hmm. Right, that alone is not enough. Okay, it it remains a dream until you start to put material into ensuring that that can be a reality. Right, and that's what I would like to see more of. You know, as uh Kaepernick, Kaepernick. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, I'm so used to reading his name yeah. on social media and just having it in my head without. I've done the same locally.
1: exact thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. And in terms of him, where there are black, now black athletes who are saying, you know, or even Canadian teams who are saying, hey, come play for us or hey, I, I'll help you with your football endeavors, right? Mm-hmm. That is a great example of how things could be where there's actually like a, a support system. And, um, cause we need it. We yeah. need it. You know, we do need it. And when I say we, it's not, when I'm not talking about somebody sitting there, they're like, you're a libtard, <laughs> you know, whatever these words are. Cause it's just so funny. Cause I don't even identify in any political party. <laughs> um, but they're like, you're a libtard. Cause you're thinking about others. <laughs> you know, um, Whatever across across the spectrum. When I say we, I'm speaking in terms of people who want to who want to see the world a better place,
1: yeah,
0: and who are tired who are tired of seeing certain groups in a country oppressed over and over and over, and um, yeah. So I just think those things are important.
1: Yes. This is ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack speaking with Ferrari Shepard, multimedia producer and artist. Ferrari, taking a stand on certain issues and voicing your opinion and standing up for people that are being oppressed. I guess for me to do that, and if you do have a backlash against you, at least you know that you're being true to yourself. (laughs) and mm-hmm. yes. where your intentions are so as many people that come at you like crazy cuz you know cuz social media is just like that um at mm-hmm. least you can have sound sleep because you know that you were true to yourself
0: correct yeah i definitely you know, you know there is that. that 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 is a very uh philosophical approach to something that's true. There's there's so much truth in that, but there's also the day-to-day. So most people don't know that—well, most people, let's just go back and say, most people know that Malcolm X traveled to Mecca, okay? He made a a pilgrimage to Mecca in which he saw, you know, people from different backgrounds, all different ethnic backgrounds, as Muslims, but they don't know how he got there. They don't know that he had to borrow money from his sister-in-law to get there. They really don't care how he fed himself, how he ate, you know, same thing with Martin Luther King or any, any of the people who we we, we uh, respect and revere in history who, who strive, to, strive towards peace. Um. So I think that it's important since we've reached this point in the conversation to think, to think outside of just the, Philosophical, or the kind of hallmark card, and yeah, it's just you just follow your dreams and you just do it, and think about what how what life really is for a person who is receiving this type of backlash. And I think it's important to document this Mm -hmm. because it 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 shows the whole story, so we don't turn a blind eye to these people who give who give up so much of their life, Mm -hmm. who give up their life their life completely. Some people they die, and I think that there the, is an there's an injustice there to kind of romanticize their their sacrifice in their you know in their struggle. I know that we don't have time like it's, it's in a matter of time to in the concern of time to not focus on every little detail of a person's life, but I think that we can there's there's room to at least examine it, you know
1: yes. Uh, And going back to the, you know, the tweets, like the characters, the amount of characters you have to say what you have, there's not really um, a full background to comments that are made or your or thought patterns. So, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of players out there, a lot of athletes, a lot of professional people, a lot of, you know, people just down the street that are donating their time to make the world a better place, donating their money to, you know, the organizations that you talked about Ferrari to make, to make this world a better place. And as much as we, great point. Yeah. As much as we can focus on, Oh my gosh, this person just did this. It's just like, um, uh, like a ball of snowball going downhill. People get on it and it, and it just goes out of control. Well, when do you say stop? Okay. That's, Enough of that chaos.
0: I, I think that it has to, uh, wear itself out. And if, if you notice, I was living actually in South Africa when, uh, Cap, let's just refer to him as Cap. Mm-hmm. Cap took the big meal. Okay? This was a year ago. A year ago. This, there was one action done a year ago and it's still headline news today. Ebola virus. You know, whatever else that has been, you know, that has been in the headlines has not lasted this long. That's because it wasn't the act of kneeling. It wasn't the NFL. It wasn't sports. It wasn't even the man. It was the subject matter. Mm -hmm. The subject matter has been ongoing for 600 years or more. Okay. And it hasn't changed. That's why I think that Sometimes uh news media often to create a package, they say, "Okay, Black Lives Matter." It's an organization. It's a this and that. No, Black Lives Matter for the mo- for the most part is what what I understand it as from as a, from outside perspective is that it's a continuation of the civil rights movement, of the abol- abolishment movement, of the abolitionist movement. I'm sorry, of all of the freedom movements, Black Power movement. It's, it's, it's all one and It won't go away until the, until the problem goes away. Until the problem goes away. And that's what gives it it, its strength. So all of the rest of it, all all of everything else is just, uh, is bread and circuses. It's just, it's it's pretty much just, uh, it's not irrelevant. It's relevant because it keeps, it keeps that topic, keeps that subject matter going. But that's the way, you know, Cap is, I, I say that he's brave. He's brave. Mm -hmm. He is brave. He knew, I think he understood. He could have just had a pretty, you know, okay career, collected his little, his millions and went about his business. Mm -hmm. But he took the opportunity to become, go from a a good quarterback to great, Mm -hmm. to great. And I think that that's something that we, we should focus on and people should have, have his back. Just as much backlash as he's getting, I think they should get that. And I'm sure he does get that much support. It's just interesting to see that this, these conversations have, uh, are now sparked again in sports because they've always been there. Yeah. And I'm personally waiting for it to hit soccer, football, you know, mm-hmm. uh, international football, mm-hmm. soccer, because living abroad, I saw how much racism there is in soccer, you know, where there's the audience, -hmm. Throwing bananas at black players and making ape sounds. I think that it's ripe. This conversation is ripe to expand, just as Black Lives Matter expanded across the globe, where there was Black Lives Matter protests in Jerusalem Mm -hmm. and all over all over the planet. I think that this conversation has to go beyond the NFL, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think it will. It will. will, We'll be talking about this in five, ten years. Yeah. It's not longer.
1: But it is great that we're talking about it. You know, it's gone so long for people to, you know, speak up. And that's why I was, like, really interested in you, Ferrari, because you do speak up. And not mm. a lot of people can do that. Not a, If you don't speak up and talk about the issues, it will sit there and it will fester. And then <laughs> you have people right. with tiki torches outside. You know what I mean? So it's just like... <laughs>
0: Right. Well, actually, and I'll I'll throw his name out there because I don't care. The guy who is the narrator for everything, um, Morgan Freeman, actually said a few years back. He said, "We can end race." I'm paraphrasing. We can end racism if we just stop talking about it. I was like, you know, for older guys, (laughs) that is the most ignorant comment I've ever heard. It's the most comfortable. Comfortable thing, you're sitting in a gated community, it's like, could you please just stop reminding me that people are oppressed? It's ruining my golf day. <laughs> you know, no, when people didn't talk about it, that was, you know, was the 19th century, all the way through, it was like 20th century. Nobody talked about it, it was like, shh, just don't say anything. And we had Leave It to Beaver on TV telling everybody that, you know, the world is all perfect and nice. And that's hurtful. That's more hurt. That's more harmful than anything. At least there are people out there recording these instances of police brutality, which I, I can say that black people have been saying for years, like this is happening to us. This is happening to us. So almost, it's almost the same thing. I, I hate that I have to always refer to the Jewish Holocaust for people to see the humanity. And any any other any other group, but I have to go back and say, you know, who would know what was happening in Germany Mm -hmm. if there wasn't, you know, if there wasn't Allied forces who went in and they actually fought with them, and you know, there was a trial, Nuremberg trial. Like you need these things to expose the atrocities, and it's important in that instance, Um, and I think this it should be equally important. And all other instances across the board, you know.
1: Yes. Where do you go for for your support?
0: Mm. So I, I mentioned earlier off record that I don't like being referred to as an activist. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple reasons, but I'll give you the main primary. Reason. There are people who actually they dedicate their lives to activism. Okay, and that is their that that's actually their role, and that's the, the their job I can't with clear conscience call myself that because I feel I, I don't necessarily feel it's an insult I just say that it's not true to what I actually do anything that I've ever done be it for like you know there was a hurt earthquake in Haiti I was like hey let's do a let's do a fundraiser concert let's just do it and I just did it that was just like I said it was completely like a um a reflex mm-hmm. you know and I did did go down to Haiti and I checked on the the water filters that were sent down there. But beyond that, I'm I'm in my own life as an artist. I have to also balance being an artist. I have to have have that space to be an artist as well. So, you know, I would say if, if if I'm an activist, then the mother who signs up for the PTA or anything that's outside of her work, or any person who just does anything that's outside of something that serves them it could be an activist too. So we could just apply it to that. But I, I like to save that title for the people who are actually on the ground every day, and this is their life. You understand? Yes. Um So you know, you you act. I think I believe the question was, so where where, where does that where does that leave me, or where where, where does do it you find me?
1: your support? Where do you find your support when, you know, you hmm. you come well, out on issues or, you know, you
0: need? Well, it's kind of a thankless job to be honest <laughs> with you. It's thankless. <laughs> it's thankless, and you know, the only I think the only payoff is 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 that that um hmm, euphoric feeling of saying like I'm in connection with myself. I am one. I look in the mirror and I see my soul every day. It's not bought. It's not sold. I think Tupac Shakur actually said that too. I can look in the mirror and see myself. I'm still there. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big payoff because I've had the opportunity to be around some highly influ- influential and wealthy people. And they don't have that. They don't have that. They're revered by millions. but when But when they look in the mirror, something is not connecting anymore so you know i can't look to outside uh, sources for that type of feeling i won't get it because the crowd will one minute they'll praise dance you and the next minute they'll be stoning you Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you can't put too much you can't you shouldn't invest too much into the crowd because they go here or there or there Right. right Yes. So it's it's about more than that. It's 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 about something that's almost inexplicable, and that's that's the payoff or what I get get out of uh, speaking out today.
1: Do you think that there are other young and upcoming leaders that will take take that flame of of you know being in our community and actually leading the charge? For
0: yeah, what's absolutely. right?
1: Yeah,
0: mm. yeah. You know what that looks like. I think will change because for me, you know, I'm in my my early thirties, right? So it's kind of over. Not over for me, not like <laughs> it's over for you, buddy. <laughs> but in terms of the the fire, I'm talking about this something about youth. The youth galvanize. They 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 set fire because they have energy, mm-hmm. and and they have. They, they just have the energy, so i uh I, I see this cycle, which is really important. I'll drop some heavy something heavy I believe to be heavy on the e s p n uh listeners, hi people out there <laughs> um this the concept of learning from history, right? We've all heard about it. do you learn from history or you you're repeating right mm-hmm. with uh political and social movements, a template has has been set which says. You speak out, okay, you find an audience, you get an audience by speaking out, you get backlash, then you either get assassinated or your life falls apart, or you get older and you just say, I want to join the PTA, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that model has run its course, right? So we have to, it's time that we adjust the strategy and start to think proactively and it starts with one thing, and I talk to my friends about this often, and it all always leaves us in silence. When I say, can we envision ourselves winning? And what does that look like? What does that look like? How, when, after we win, okay, not to say that, you know, well, I know there'll always be struggles, there'll always be whatever, but there is, if we can envision ourselves winning, not dying, because that's, that's kind of the role that we've been given is, oh, you're supposed to be destitute or die because you really are for the cause. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Let's talk about living. Let's say that I'm going to tell you the truth. You're not going to like it. And I'm going to live and I'm going to thrive and I'm going to win. Right. Mm-hmm. What does that look like to us? I think that I can't, I can't give you the answer to that. Mm-hmm. I think that everybody would give you a different answer, but it's important to know and to envision that if we ever plan on winning right Mm -hmm. how the next question is once we win let's just say the cap and and all this once we win how will we be different from the power structure that we so oppose today Mm -hmm. once we have power those two things are really important i think the younger people will catch on to that and say okay we we have you know it's almost like a temper tantrum or not just the temper tantrum that's a disrespectful to it but it's just this release of, like, I'm abused, I'm hurt. This is emotional, emotional. But at some point, we have to move past that and start to, like I said, envision the future and think of things in a material and concrete way. And I think that that is where the the new generation will pick up because they're smart in this is the information um, era or inform- age of information. hmm so, they're getting so much more information than we ever could have got in a library with a card catalog. Right. Okay. On a daily basis. So, we're producing, right now, if you talk about a newborn baby, they're coming out of the womb knowing how to play Candy Crush. Right. <laughs> and to log into your phone. You're like, you're, you're like two years old. Yeah. Like I just know this. It's, it's in me. It's yes. in me. I know. Yeah. So, yeah. They absolutely that do. that is exciting, you know. If there's any anything outside of the doom and gloom of life, you could say that, that is something that I look forward to definitely, even if I never get to see it myself. Is the winning, okay? Yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> I, I that, that's well stated. One thing that you know I see over this past year, you know, this has been this has been a very difficult year, but uh, I I see people standing up. You know, taking action, actually doing stuff instead of sitting in their house on the couch griping. You know what I mean? So it has this type of environment has enabled us as human beings to stand up for other human beings. And what do we want in our local community? Who's in charge? Who are we voting Mm -hmm. for? Actually digging deep into what positions people in politics that we're electing to represent us. What do they actually stand for instead of just, you know, taking someone's word for it? As far as like the social media goes and, you know, what we've learned about how the Russian trolls have went in and and <laughs> I'm so angry about this, how they went into yeah. Facebook and Twitter and put out all these false stories and people believed it and retweeted it and all of that. And going into the Black Lives Matters thing, causing people to, you know, go out and have You know, riots or whatever. And also with Trump rallies, it's like. Well, what can we believe? You can't just sit there and read it and just take it on. Oh, yeah, that's it. Do more. Right. think for yourself, investigate well, are these true facts or is it you know yeah. propaganda that we're really given into and now you see everybody's right. all hateful and rising up against one another, which for me is like well, Russia's won. That's exactly what they wanted to do. <laughs>
0: mhm, you know. It's interesting that you bring that up because this isn't new, by the way. Like this, this was happening before social media and it actually has a, it's a there's a term, uh, coined by the Department of Defense which is called, it's called, uh, perception management. Okay? Mm-hmm. And you can look up the definition for that yourself in more detail, but in short, perception management is basically using deception, uh, half-truths, and um any other any other uh method to control an audience. Okay? Mm-hmm. So right now this 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 guy with the orange hair came out and says fake news. Fake news, which is the stupidest <laughs> most the dullest way to describe anything. Fake. The word fake news, what what is that? It's almost like uh, Ash can or just a dumb word that's kind of meaningless. But what what is what is done is the same thing that was going on in, during World War Two, when you know they had Nazi propaganda. The Nazis said this about you know the Allies, and the Allies said you know this about the Nazis. It's, it's it's propaganda, and it's not new. But the only difference is is that there is a sea of information at our fingertips, mm-hmm. and we do have to learn a question. And inadvertently, the orange-haired guy, Trump, has, um I call him orange-haired guy, mm-hmm. has made even his followers become skeptical of news, right? So, where well, he says fake news, this is fake, read my, my brand of bull. <laughs> it's, oh my god, am I supposed to curse? My <laughs> read my brand of bull,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And that, that actually makes people, even on his side, question. So it's great right now that people are researching but it's it's like when when you get down to it, I'll be one hundred percent honest. There are five big major media companies. Okay, Western media companies and they basically like if you're outside of that, then you become the Alex Joneses, which is that whole mm. that whole alternate <laughs> whatever. It's, it's very interesting yeah. to me as I watched it evolve, specifically Alex Jones over the years. Because I used to watch him, I used to watch his YouTube channel, and he went from talking about extraterrestrials and lizard people to you know mm. to FEMA camp, and now he's just a Trump supporter. It's like what? The, how how do we go? How did it go from all of that to secret society to just support Trump and down with those brown people who are trying to come in? You know, so you know you you, you see what that's about. So they have an agenda. That side has an agenda, and other mainstream news, they it's an agenda has this kind of ominous or dubious implication, but it's it's really not. It's just everyone has an agenda. I have an agenda. Mm-hmm. My agenda is to in oppression in all form right so when i deliver news to you i'm delivering it to you or information to you i'm delivering it from that standpoint right mm-hmm. so if people question that to say well what is this person's agenda or this publication's agenda then they can better they can better compare and contrast and say okay now i we're getting closer to the truth yes yeah. okay and i and i think that that's important to do in in this time especially in this time even though what I, like I, as i said the propaganda machine is not new the technology is new
1: the te- yeah <laughs> the technology is new well yes. there, this has been truly enlightening i'm so glad i reached out to you uh ferrari can you tell us awesome. um how we can find out more information about you and see your art and uh, find out more about your album, December
0: 99th, December 99th is available still exclusively through title, although I'm fighting to get it on other platforms. You can find me at stop being famous at Twitter and also on my website, com.
1: All right. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and who you are with us.
0: All right, I enjoy talking to you. Thank you.
1: I'm LaFern Cusack. This is ESPN LA 710.
0: ESPN LA 710.